Welcome one, welcome all to The Tension. I am your host, Mick White. The Tension is a podcast all about putting two theological subjects into right relationship and finding the truth that God desires for his church. It is our hope with this show that we will be able to reach the lost, equip the saints, and challenge you to think deeper into the things of God for the glory of God. We are thankful and excited that you have decided to spend some time with us today and pray that in some way you will be blessed by the conversation. I am joined with my co-host, as always, my brother, pastor, friend, Eric Moran. How are we doing today, brother? I'm doing well by yourself. I'm splendid. I am super splendid. So today on The Tension, we will be diving headfirst into a probably a touchy-feely conversation for sure. It's a... Uh, it's easy. You were saying earlier before we got started that it, you're going to have one side that picks their side and the other side that picks their side and they kind of dig their heels in in, the, in their positions. But it is Judas Iscariot, heaven or hell. But I believe that there is a great message that we can take away from this and kind of put it into perspective and put it inside of the tension and the tension in this certain story in the in the Bible is should we have a heart for Judas that maybe he isn't in hell that his repentance was genuine and God forgave him shouldn't we also have that same heart for others who we may think are separated from God that that's the question for me yes it is okay so as he was saying we know that it's going to be natural for someone to take one position or the other and the premise of the podcast is to try and learn to put things into proper tension, submitting our authority unto the only one that has it, which is God Almighty. Amen. Um, and, and when we look at these things, we've got to today cover things like predestination and foreknowledge and free will, uh, free will uh, bondage of will. Uh, there, there, there's going to be these things that the church had to address as it moved forward from the worldview that we've been building out that Jesus Christ stepped into and perfectly fulfilled. And hopefully when we combine everything that we've been talking about the last couple of weeks with actually sitting in front of God being sovereign and this being about God and not about man, it does raise certain questions in the growth of how does man sustain this? How does man approach this? How does man apply this mm-hmm. moving forward? And that, that, that is where you get the free will or the bondage of free will or, you know, the, the Pelagianism versus, you know, Constantine. And we would know that is Calvinism versus Arminianism. Right. A, a lot of those isms. Right. All right. So where I would want to start is we've got to define predestination and foreknowledge. Yes. Um, predestination is when God sovereignly says this is going to happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and as he says it, it is finished. It, God's sovereign predestination is a done deal. Mm-hmm. His foreknowledge is he knows everything that could ever happen in any way or direction to where when we have David that prays to Yahweh and says, if I stay in the city, Saul's coming down to kill me. If I stay here, will they turn me over to them? And Yahweh says, yes, yes, they will. Absolutely. So then David leads, leaves the camp off of the foreknowledge of God because mm-hmm. he prayed to him and depended on his answer. He Correct. leaves. Mm-hmm. Saul hears about it. He turns around halfway and doesn't even come all the way to the city. Right. 
Now, would he have killed Paul? Or Paul, listen, would he have killed David when he got there? Yes. Had David not listened to Yahweh? Yes. Yes, but that was the foreknowledge, not predestination. It's not like Yahweh said, David's going to die by Saul's hands in that town, or right. else that would have happened. Right. So when we pray, a lot of times we have to pray if it's your sovereign will. What we mean by that is if this is something you've predestined, then don't let me get in the way of it. Right. If it's foreknowledge and there's something you can guide me into, then yeah. by all means, let me change your mind, change my mind, yeah, let yeah. me change someone else's mind. Right. If there's any other way, may you do it like this. But if not, then this is the reason that you've sent me, which is the prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane with Christ. Right. When we look at these patterns that had been opened up for us to to enter into, that's exactly what Christ wanted us to do, is to use that and understand that that's a right and healthy way to approach Yahweh. Right. When we go back to the Deuteronomy 32 worldview that we've been building out, the verse 7 said to remember the days of old, to consider the years of many generations, to ask your father and he will show you and your elders and they will teach you. And then it gets into the most high separating the mankind into the B'nai Elohim, sons of God. But the very first verse is, this has always been one story. Mm -hmm. It's never going to be different because God's a God without shadow or turning. Mm -hmm. He wants you to consider these generations. That way you don't get caught up in just what's going on right now. And we should have elders and people that we look forward uh, up to to be able to answer these things. Isaiah 46.10 says that God is one that has declared the end from the beginning. He's mm -hmm. not a God that hides things. From the ancient times, things not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand, and I will accomplish all my purpose. Amen. All right, now, that means this is a God thing. Yes. And a lot of times people get hemmed up in what they think should happen or what they think is right. Right. And at that point, it's an authority issue, not necessarily a intellect issue. Right. Well, I, I tell people a lot of the times when they make, when they make some arguments, they make an argument from authority. And I always tell them that that's not a good position to take because now you're putting yourself in, in, in a position that you, you can't live up to. So it's not, it's just not a good position to take because you're, you're kind of usurping God's role for, you know, you're putting your place where God should be instead of humbling yourself. And I think that it's just dangerous territory to get into. I've heard a lot of great debaters, you know, say that they, they stay away from those arguments because you can't really argue with it because it goes back to what we said a long time ago. That's a God thing. So that means that's either or now when we put it on the human level, the creation level, that's a both and. In Romans eight twenty nine, it says, For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he may be the firstborn among many brothers. Yep. Okay, so if you haven't heard me say this already, I say it a lot. If it's true forward, it's just as true reading it backwards. Yep. And ultimately, if we read that backwards, Jesus Christ became the firstborn of all of his brothers because they were going to be conformed in the image that he's put forth because God the Father predestined that to be the gospel. That mm -hmm. is the truth. Yep. Now, he foreknew all of those that the secret things belong to God in Deuteronomy 29, 29, mm -hmm. and, and the things that you do know are your responsibility to live up to, and that's for your children and grandchildren. Right. So 
there's there is an element of him foreknowing many things that will never happen and all the things that could have happened now mm-hmm. that's too big for our finite brain yeah but the predestined part isn't right and the clarity of the predestined authority of god is really a blessing not a curse unless you want to be the authority because then you're like oh how could god be that godless or godness it's like no god is god by definition he has said certain things are going to happen and what is going to happen is you're going to be conformed to the image of my son or you are not right you are going to be in the kingdom of light or you are not right so when we take somebody like judas Mm -hmm. judas walked with jesus yes he did judas watched Jesus, heard Jesus, saw the miracles. Um, There's no way that Judas didn't know that Jesus was the unique son of God. Right. So when we take Judas and we actually put it in context of not just reading a verse and then then saying what we think about that verse, he was just like the rest of the disciples and the Jews of that time. They wanted Jesus to stand up and overthrow Rome as a military leader because that's what Maccabeus had done a hundred years before him. Right. Jesus continued to say, that's not what's going to happen. Three times he teaches in, inside of the gospels that I'm going to go and I'm going to die. And then you're not going to be able to understand that. And the Holy Spirit's going to come and he's going to make things known to you at that point. But they didn't hear it the same way. We wouldn't. Judas Iscariot turned Jesus over to force Jesus into overthrowing Rome. He knew he was the son of God. That's interesting. He knew that by turning him in, he was going to get the money that was wasted on the alabaster f- perfume. Right. The shekels are almost the exact amount that that perfume would have been worth. He was pissed about the perfume. He was the treasurer. And he said, I know what I'll do. I'll go get the money back. I'll make Jesus stand up and be God because I know who he is. And I'm going to set this up and put it into motion. Yeah, I never thought about it that way. So ultimately, he is trying to force God's hand into doing what God came to do, but it's in his opinion. Right. And it's in his timing. Right. So when he goes and he kisses Jesus, he's not like kissing Jesus like, I'm betraying you, Jesus. He's kissing him like, let's do this. And Jesus, of course, looks at him with sad eyes and said, and that's the way you're going to do this. And you're going to have to live with how you betrayed me with a kiss. But it's not like Judas didn't love Jesus. It's not like Judas was that malicious. I, yes. I, I, I mean, just put yourself in the realism of the story. You have been, from the beginning, one of the 12. Right. You've been intimately involved in all conversations, especially those to do with the giving of money and taking in of money. You're right. the treasurer. You're trusted. You, you have a relationship that's very, very special. Yeah. That doesn't mean that you aren't still selfish and that you're going to put God to doing things you think God you're entitled to. Right. And that should be very, very realistic to us because we we all do this. I mean, we literally do this. He trusts us with the things of this world, and then we think we're entitled to more because of who he's allowed us to be. And then we start to expect and tell him what he should be doing in our lives. Right. And we get ourselves in situations that we thought God was going to do something different. And then we're like, well, where were you at on that one, God? I mean, so, but when you put yeah. it in that, in that, when he realizes, wait a minute, he's not going to stand up against Rome. Right. He rushes back, throws the money at their feet, says, I'm absolutely wrong. Cries out, right. wishes he'd never done it. So in any Baptist church, I don't know enough about other denominations, but if you came into a Baptist church 
and came up front with tears and snot bubbles and everything else running down your face and saying, I am so sorry for anything that I've done against God. Here's all the money that I ever took. I just know that I'm absolutely wrong for what I did. We would be like, oh, son, don't worry. That is repentance, and you are all good. Yeah, you would say that that would be the example of, like, genuine repentance in our eyes. And the Bible's saying it it wasn't enough. And and mm. Hebrews twelve does the same thing with Esau. Esau right. realizes that he lost his birthright. He realizes at a point in his life there was more to the story, and he in tears repents. And it says God said, "No, there'll be no repentance." Mm. So, like it or not, God's God. Yeah, and, and that's where we get the touchy feely, or however you're going to say it, because ultimately. There are times that God says, no, in my sovereign plan, I'm making things known through Judas's relationship with my son. One of the 12 had to be the son of perdition. One of the 12 has to turn him in. One of the 12 is going to play this role. Right. Now, if God the Father chose him to play this role, mm-hmm. does he go to hell forever and ever for playing the role that God picked him to play? Yeah. And it gets back to the heart of what we're trying to put the things together for. Well, and and I was, I was explaining this to my wife. I was trying to tell her um, about it. And I was saying, I think we're just so, we're so quick to, to read it and to see someone else's name there. And I was like, it's a fun, interesting little experiment real fast. People like to throw their name in the Bible all the time. Just, just only in the right verses though. So I, I told her, I said, well, let's just, let's, you know, for, for whatever, let's use this as an, as an example. I said, let's take out Judas's name. Let's insert your name. Let's let 150 people read this story. And then let's have every single one of them look up from le- reading the story while you're standing there and go, oh, yeah, you're going to hell. And how quickly would you think? But that wasn't my intentions. That's not what I was trying to do. It was so different. You don't understand and have this emotional response to all these people and they're just immediately going no you're going to hell yeah you're definitely going to hell there's nothing you can do about it that's just the way it is it's completely and totally different when you have skin in the game all the when when it's you you wouldn't be so quick to make that that judgment or that assumption you would you'd have to really think about it and 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 when you just said Judas being a part of a part of the 12 and seeing miraculous things and seeing this intimate relationship that Jesus has with his father that he goes and he prays before every morning before they do anything really. And that's why I kind of, in putting it through that, like through that, through that lens right there, I have, I came up with this question and it was Judas's character can be called into question. For example, when the woman used the perfume on Jesus, Judas says that it should have been sold to give to the needy. Is Judas totally wrong in his assumption? Um, we don't know his intentions. We also should be able to relate to this. How many times have we assumed the wrong thing, even though we have, we have been or should have been taught differently in church? I mean, we, we do the wrong thing all the time and we get to go, you know, and apologize or come up with whatever our reason is for doing it, but it doesn't change the fact that we did it. And he's making, I mean, he's making a true statement. Like I could see someone being, less informed saying, Hey, shouldn't we have given to the needy? He's not saying, shouldn't we have gone to the you know strip club with this money? He's not saying anything like that. I mean, he has a, 
he has a point, but also at the same time too, that wasn't what was supposed to happen. That's not what was supposed to be fulfilled, I guess. Is that was that the way we should look at it? What I'm gonna do is I'm gonna make it like you said, I'll I'll put me in the crosshairs. Judas was the treasurer. Right. So that was his profession. That was his purpose. Mm-hmm. That is what he found his identity within the twelve for. When you waste money that was supposed to be going through the treasury for the purpose of feeding the needy, taking care of the needy. That's right. what he says. Whoa, 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 wait a minute. That money could have been spent a whole bunch. Yeah. That could have that could have accomplished a lot more than making Jesus' feet smell good. And Jesus, once again, says, hey, listen, the poor are always going to be with you. She's done the right thing because I'm only going to be here for a short period of time. And the women inside of the gospel actually hear the things of Christ quicker than the men because the men are worried about what they're supposed to be doing. And right. the women sit at the feet and love Jesus mm-hmm. because of their their culture, because of, the once again, the way the, the gospel is presented, right. Right, right or wrong, whatever. But if I'm a pastor mm-hmm. and I'm like, but this is the best way to pastor to the people Right. And then God says, no, 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 this is what I want you to do. I'm going to be like, but that would be selfish for me to do that. I'm going to do this because of who I am as right. a pastor, because of my role, because of my position. Right. If you take Judas and you see Judas saying, oh, wait a minute, don't waste that $50,000. I could do this and this and this. We could feed 100,000 people off right. of that. But then Jesus corrects him. And I say, but I know how to get it back. Yeah. For the goodness of my shrewdness to do my job, my position, which God, of course, wants me to do, because that's what's going to make me feel and, and be godly in the right. mission. Yeah, yeah. But I don't do it God's way. Right. And I end up allowing. Do you know what happens after he dips the tail? Okay, so they're at the Passover meal. Mm-hmm. Jesus says, you're going to know the one that's going to betray me by. A kiss? Isn't that it? Well, no, by the one I dip the bread and hand it to. Oh, yeah, that's right. Right. But when he dips it. Got me. All of the disciples, it literally says, wonders if it's them. Yeah, they all they all do, yeah. So it's not like all of them are like, dang it, Judas. And they all looked at Judas. <laughs> you know, it, it wasn't like, and this one that's going to betray me. And they were all like, oh, Judas. And they we pointed. know who that is. All of them struggled with what's wrong with them and wondered if it was them. And right. then it says, what about Judas? I don't know. And then Satan entered into him. Yeah. All right, so because of getting out of the line of what God's will was because of the purpose for which he thought he found value inside the kingdom of God by his terms. He allowed a door to be opened, to be filled with Satan, to take it into his own hands. I know what I can do to get the money back, to make Jesus do what I want him to do. And then Satan enables, empowers, leads, guides, directs, however you want to read that. But even in that, it says that Satan entered into Judas and Judas betrayed Jesus. So could that read, hey, Eric was a pastor and then Satan entered into him and tempted him to, I don't want to go one-on-one with Satan. No. And 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 I'm not saying greater is in, in me than is in the world. And I'm not saying that Jesus hasn't already overcome, but Satan is the most beautiful and wisest creature that God ever created. Yeah. And he would best me one-on-one. Yeah. If he bests Judas for the fulfillment of God the Father's plan, right? He's in that middle ground. Yeah. You know, and it gets back to what we're trying to do as far as when we're challenged with reading Judas, 
what do you do with Judas? What, what, what do you internally do with Judas? Yeah. I mean, and it's a, it's a, and I think seeing the contrast that Paul talks about where he says, I'd, you know, gladly throw myself into the, the pits of Sheol just so that my brothers wouldn't be separated. I see that, that heart there. So for me personally, what I do with it is I don't know because I'm not God. That's the first thing that I say. And the second thing is I, I honestly hope that his repentance was genuine. Why would I want anyone to go to hell? I mean, that's honestly the question that I ask because I'm not perfect. I'm far from it by any means whatsoever. So do I hope that he's in heaven and not in hell? Uh, absolutely. Because like I said, I mean, looking and in, looking inside of it, and really kind of spending spending time with it and thinking about it. How, I mean, how quickly how quickly can we say that? Oh, he's just a bad guy, and he's going to go to hell. But then, when like look at, I mean, think about your own life. Think about your own life and your own failures and everything else, and wanting to do the things the way that you want them done versus saying, "God, let your will be done." And if anybody says, "Well, all I do is you know, ask for God's will to be done." I would say there's no way that you got there without putting up a fight somewhere in your life. I mean, that's you're. I, I don't know. To me, it's like you're not being honest. I know there's been one time in your life where you're like, God, if you'll do this, then I won't do this ever again. Da 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 da. And I guarantee you've done it again. <laughs> and I won't even ask you, you know, because I. It, I'd I'd hate to put you in a situation to make you lie on yourself. I mean, the scripture literally in Romans, the first chapter is about those without right relationship with God, pagans, right, and all the struggle they're going to have. And then the second chapter is like, oh, and you Jews that say that you know Him, i.e., you guys that go to church and you yeah. you have the the message, yeah, but you don't live up to it any closer than they do when right. we look at God's standard. And then in chapter three, it's no one, no, not one, no one understands, no one seeks after God, no right. one. They've all turned aside. Everyone's worthless. So like, everyone is everyone. Yeah. yeah. Uh, no one. Is no one. Yeah, it's no one. And at the end, it says the reason this is because there's no fear of the Lord before their eyes. And mm. and ultimately, Judas's eyes got off of the fear of Yahweh and allowing his plan to run its course the way that it was intended. But God used that inside of his story. Yeah. Judge not lest you be judged by that standard. Um taking the authority of God and wishing someone or not even wishing thinking that, you know, whether someone is going to hell or not turns around and should challenge you that that's enough to send you to hell because you're taking the grace. You're taking that parable where the King has just relieved millions and billions of dollars worth of debt. And then I see Mick on the street and I'm like, Hey man, you owe me five bucks. <laughs> And you're like, whoa, wait, I mean, I only have three. No, no, uh-uh. Hey, get, get the cops over here. Lock him up. I, I want my $5. Yeah, you only and need five bucks, not three bucks. So if you really understand that right. by grace is sufficient, and then you turn around and start saying, and you're going to go to hell, and you're going to go to hell, you're probably in, but you're going to go to hell. And, you know, <laughs> Calvin taught such and such. So you and you and you. And then, you know, uh-oh, Lutherans, they taught this, and you and you and you. It's like, no. Right. It, it, the entire gospel is 
to give you a heart of flesh instead of a heart of stone, to mm. make you want to extend grace instead of beat people with a hammer, to want universalism to be true, even though we know the doctrine says that that's not the truth, the way, the life. Right. But it shouldn't change our desire because it does say that God loves all of his creatures, all of his creation. Right. And it breaks his heart that they aren't in right relationship. Right. He wishes none would perish. However, we know wide is the way and many are going to, and two thirds are breaking his heart. Right. Where is that in us is the question, because what that means is it should be breaking our heart. Those that appear according to our understanding to be headed to hell. But the one third of grace saying, but I'm not the judge and I'm Mm -hmm. not here to even try to figure that out. I'm Mm -hmm. here to keep my eyes on the glory of God, to continue to try and extend that gracious hand, to continue to try and work on what's wrong inside of me, to continue to focus on my internal struggle Mm -hmm. allows you to keep that open communication. Yeah. And I, and I will, I will say too, I feel like this is a really good time for us to kind of, get off into there is no there is a difference between discernment you know discerning discerning and testing spirits there's a difference between that and then assuming the role of judge there's a there's a huge difference between that so yeah you may be able to talk to someone and say that part that person probably doesn't know the lord now what do you do with that after you've made that discernment like what what is your next course course of action are you praying for that person that they would turn from their from their wicked ways and that they would acknowledge that god is who he is and partake of you know reach out for the grace and the mercy that he's extended to everyone or are you just going to say well that's up to god it's i'm not not going to worry about it because i mean isn't isn't the mission to go forth into the nations making disciples declaring the you know, preaching the gospel to them baptizing them in the name of the father the son and the holy spirit i mean it sounds like you're going to it sounds like you're only going to go after the ones that are interested not the ones who actually need it but our heart should be to proclaim the gospel to everyone not just the ones that are open to it <laughs> and uh, so i mean i could go two different ways so First John says this in First John 4, it says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, right? but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For mm-hmm. many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this, know that, that, by this you know the Holy Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God, and every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. Right. That's the spirit of the Antichrist. All right, so that means that the spirit of Jesus Christ is the spirit of, I only came to seek and save. I did not come to judge. I allow the father to have vengeance is mine because I live in dependence and hope of what he's doing. And he's getting to do that through me because I'm not trying to live for my opinions like everyone else. Right, right, right. All right, now, none of us do that perfectly, so it's not like you're going to find the perfect person. So that gets back to like you were just quoting out of the Matthew 28. All authority on he- in heaven and earth has been given from Yahweh to our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, which is the fulfillment of the gospel 
of humiliation, exaltation. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to dig over to Philippians and it says, listen, even though he had the equality of, of, of God, he laid that down willingly and then took on flesh and not only took on flesh, but then became a criminal and was crucified and, and went through the shame and the guilt mm. so that he could be exalted and given the name above every name. Yeah. So humiliation comes first. Right. Now, when I'm humiliated, I'm not trying to say you're going to hell. Right. Because I know I deserve to go to hell. Yeah. It's when I'm exalted that I start to think, you know what? You need to be more like me. And if you're not, <laughs> you're going to hell. <laughs> yeah. Or, you know what? You need to think the same way I think. And if you don't, guess what? You're going, going to hell. Going to hell. And, you know, and then everything's the devil. And then everything is, is what you think it is. And then all of a sudden you end up puffing yourself up. And then God has to take your legs out from underneath. And you're like, what is that about? It's like, no, no. He told you. Watch that you don't lift yourself up because I'm going to have to lower you back down because your natural relationship in the gospel is to become humiliated and to try and stay there. Right. Because by staying there, I will lift you up in the proper timing. I will give you. So we go to the parables. Hey, if you uh, go to a wedding, don't sit up front. Yeah. But why? Um, Because the most likely thing that's going to happen is they're going to say, this seat's reserved and it's not for you. (laughs) What, What we need you to do is. Go back there somewhere. Yeah, go be- yonder. Because here comes the person that is reserved for. Right. But if you go to the wedding and you sit in the very back, yeah, either you're where you were supposed to be, mm-hmm. and nobody has to humiliate you, right. or they say, hey, is Eric Moran here? Um, we've actually got a reserved seat. And they call me up to the front because right. of the reservation of the choice in the family of God that I get to then be called into because I properly put myself below it. Right. So Christ properly put himself underneath the feet of Yahweh right. to be used in mediating to us in a lowly position mm-hmm. to then allow us to see a door unto greater things. Right. Any other spirit than that is going to be self, um, self angry, self self worship. Um. It's going to be lifting you up into a position that you were not created for. Like we see happening with Judas. Mm -hmm. But if that means that you go to hell for that, then I'm sorry, everybody deserves hell. Oh my goodness, that sounds kind of like the gospel. So our only hope, if everybody (laughs) deserves hell, is what? To humbly realize you have no hope other than... God making a way that you don't deserve, which happens to be grace in the gospel, right? to where once you receive it, you can hold on to it. Because yeah. anything other than that, you're going to have religion, and you're going to think that you're better than others, and you're going to say, oh, I used to go to this church, and it was so heretical, and then I got into this church, and they preached the truth. You know what? You're going to go to hell. <laughs> well... <laughs> You might want to like slow down just a little bit because yeah. I mean, even Jesus didn't go around going, "You're in, you're in, you're cool, <laughs> you're cool, you're out, you're cool." He didn't do that. He right. he literally said, "There's a God. Mm-hmm. He's holy. Right. I want you to know Him, and the best way for me to do that is to represent Him." Mm. And He made a way through humility. He made a way by laying Himself down, and this is where we get into the. We don't have rights anymore. Right. Um, well, they ain't going to do that to me. I'll tell you what. It, like, like it, to me, it's hilarious. And, and I know I'm going to get in trouble because I've, I've already had this conversation with many brothers and sisters. I hope. This ought to be fun. Yeah. 
if you're a Christian, mm-hmm. take the don't tread on me flag out of your yard. I mean, like, don't tread on me is anti-gospel. <laughs> don't tread on me yeah. is absolutely, like, anti-gospel. It, it's the opposite of what Jesus says. No, no, no. I'm going to be crushed and walked on for my Father's glory. Not me, buddy. <laughs> don't tread on me. <laughs> And it's like, yeah, and, and put it and, that way. Yeah. And, and I've had people, you know, defend the fact that you're going to defend your family. And, 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 and so oh, don't, yeah. I'm not saying take it to a, a place that it doesn't belong. Right. But to fly a flag means this represents me, you know, right. to string up a banner. When we go into the yeah. old Testament language, when a banner was flown, the banner was a testament to what you were going to live up to. Right. If you're going to start with, don't tread on me, you need to start there with your own heart and your gospel because no you're supposed to live for god and others at the sacrifice of yourself which means treading on you right it's kind of you're you're basically closing the door before before you ever really even get the opportunity to you send such a message that it almost sounds like whatever you are hoping to find you're not going to find it here keep moving buddy I mean, to me, when when you say what you're saying, it's like having rose colored glasses and then wondering why the ocean's not blue. Yeah, if if that's if that's your beginning premise, then you're trying to fit everything that you read through the gospel into justifying how, by godly standards, I'm standing on God's truth and I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that. And it's like, well, no, the Bible says you can do nothing apart from me. You're totally iniquit. You actually in your weakness will find my strength. Right. Hmm. That, that does, doesn't, <laughs> st- it doesn't even line up with where you're starting. And it's just another avenue for the reason we have blind spots because we can't see him, right? Well, yeah. I mean, think about Peter. Peter's a, Peter's a prime example. I won't betray you. I won't betray you. Mm-hmm. Think about <laughs> why we get together at church and people say, well, I don't need church. I can see God on my back porch or I can see God when I go hunting. Yeah. All right. But you don't have other believers that see your blind spots and, and say things like, hey, take the flag down, dude. Yeah. You know, it, it don't tread on me if you think that through. Right. And I've heard good, I mean, I've heard good explanations. Right. But it is a barrier between you and the gospel if you're not willing to be tread on because literally the authors of the New Testament say, oh, we're like lambs being slaughtered every day. Yeah. That means we're being tread on every day. Yeah. I mean, it does. And even though we're tread on, we know that we're tread on for God. And if we're in our right mind, it's for you. And if we're in our absolute other mind, it's for God. Or I might have that backwards. But right. ultimately, when when we when we sound crazy, we're crazy over the Lord. Right? Maybe you you can't see why I would allow myself to be tread on, but God said for me to be tread on, so I allow myself to be tread on. And I'm not trying to say I can make it make sense. I'm saying that's what He said to do, and I'm doing that. Right now, when I'm in my right mind and I'm trying to talk to you about reason and logic, that's for you. Right, and 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 there is that element that we have to be able to reason and consider and and to work through the mental aspects of it. But then there's that faith. I believe, so I'm going to lay things down. Right. Um, that other people will be like, dude, that's crazy. I'd never lay that down. Well if the scripture says I'm supposed to, I'm supposed to, and it doesn't really matter what you think or I think right. it's not asking me that gets back to the discerning and back to the judgment. It's, mm-hmm. it, it's, 
it's an authority issue at that point. Right. And it may not be at the beginning of your relationship, but as right. you grow, you're going to run into things that all of a sudden do have a different weight. Yes. And for you to step into that next onion peel or that next ring of, of relationship, you're, right. you're going to have to, you're going to have to do things. Maybe you wouldn't have done any time before that and know that other people are going to look at you and think you foolish for doing. Them. Yeah. I mean, which is, which is a hundred percent true. I mean, I, I think about like you talked about this morning, how if your whole premise is, you know, don't tread on me, but, you may have something that someone else doesn't have and you may be the only way you may you may be the only hands and feet of Christ possible for these people but if your premise is don't come here asking for nothing cuz i ain't going to give you nothing you know don't don't impose or put me in a tough spot because i don't want to be in a tough spot it, it it's kind of it's 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 counter to the gospel and and you may not see it that way because of course, everyone tries to justify their actions and, and everything that they're doing so that they can feel justified in that. But once again, going back to Romans, it says that God is just and the justifier, that he 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 builds that out to a point for you to, for you to say, no, I, w- I want to be, there's a way that seems right to man, and then there's a way that's right to God. And if we're true, if we if we truly believe and have a relationship with God, we would it's very unwise to think that we're right and God's wrong. I mean, I would say, cause in a sense, it's kind of almost what you're getting into. It's like, I know better than God. You're, you may not say that outright, but you're implying that with the way that you're, the way that you're living and the way that the things that you're, and the things that you're doing. I mean, for me personally, I didn't see thing. I didn't see eye to eye with several different people and it kept, and it had me continually going to God and asking to be released from where I was so I could go somewhere else. But it wasn't until God's plan and God's purpose for me at that church was fulfilled that I was released. But once I was released, I still immediately went right back to, well, what do I do now? Because I was, you know, being dependent upon God means you're totally dependent upon God. You're dependent upon him leading you and directing you in every aspect of your life. That's what makes it an active relationship that we are constantly going to him for guidance and direction because he knows better than us. We we don't know better than God. And I, and I think that it's a common thing between people nowadays that we want to assume the, the role of authority because we want to be the God of our own lives. It's just a natural I think it's natural in a sense. I think it's the spirit versus the flesh, really. In the Old Testament, it says that if you don't work, you don't eat. Right. So you see someone and you wonder whether or not you should give them any money because, oh, my goodness, they might go buy alcohol with it and they may do this or that. Right, right, right. I mean, in our culture, that's something that... Oh, yeah. I believe everybody runs into at some point in time yeah. where, you know, God lays on your heart to do it. And then you argue within yourself and they'll quote verses out of the Old Testament to justify the fact that, you know, if you don't work, you don't eat, mm-hmm. do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Right. Um, but they, they forget like Deuteronomy fifteen ten where it says, give generosity, uh, generously to the poor, not grudgingly for Yahweh, your God will bless you in everything that you do. 
Um, Proverbs nineteen seventeen: the one who is gracious to the poor lends to Yahweh. So in other words, when you give to the poor person, you're not giving to the poor person. You're actually being obedient to Yahweh because he's the one that's given you enough to be able to give away. Right. And he says, and then Yahweh will repay him for his good deed. Mm-hmm. Now, either that's true or it's not. Right. Um, the question is, are you arguing with yourself whether you should do it or not? Yeah. Or are you actually hearing God say to do it because you've got a God-centered life versus a self-centered life to where you're, we're all going to argue with ourselves if we're just going to work that day, yeah. you know, so-and-so just cut us off. We're already sidetracked. You know, I've got a little road rage going on and then I pull up and this dude's like, Hey man, can I have a dollar? <laughs> and, and you're like, dude, I'm not giving you anything. All right, all right. And that's every one of us. So it, right. it gets back to, well, Judas would go to hell for that. No, no, no. We would all go to hell for that. Now, luckily God lays on my heart, Eric, what kind of hard heart is that? Look down, you got six bucks just sitting in the ashtray. Yeah. Hand him the six dollars. Yeah. Now it's between me and God. It yeah. has nothing to do with the poor guy outside of the cart. Now right. it's whether or not I'm going to be obedient, listen to the leading of the Spirit of God inside of my inner heart, right. and reach down and give the six dollars that I didn't even know was in my car until yeah. I looked down. Mm-hmm. Or, heck no. I mean, he, he might go buy alcohol. I might need a biscuit. <laughs> you know, and and so it it it, it is the life that we live. The question right. is, will we more and more start to be led by God? It, it, it's just like the preppers in the oh well, I'll, what I'll do is I got all this ammunition, and I'll just kill people that that wanted my. And it's like okay, so you, society collapses right. for six months. You kill strangers at a hundred yards away. And then you die anyway. And all your memories are taking people's lives, trying to stay in this world over some things that don't matter eternally. But that's your plan. Right. Your plan is well, how I'm going to protect mine and how you're not going to tread on me and how I'm going to do this. It's like, or, yeah. or, or, or you, yeah. you could like be thankful for today mm-hmm. and I'll walk through whatever God allows me to walk through with him. And if I starve in seven days, but I get to preach Christ to people that are starving in the false idol of this government, providing for them the things only God can, I may have more people listen to the gospel in seven days while I starve to death than I would have in a hundred years in this system. Which one is it that really matters? Which, Which one is it that would really have impact? When we say, God, your will be done in the country restore us and have a revival mm-hmm. well what if that revival came through 10 years of horror right it, if you meant it you meant it right um it's it's, it's not always cookie cutter well i was thinking that the one of the books you gave me today was a dietrich bonhoeffer book and i can't remember the name of the book but i was just flipping through it and i read a part where he's in prison and he's writing to his parents and he he says uh I'm good. I'm healthy. Um, I get to go outside for an hour and a half a day and now I can smoke cigarettes and, and I, uh, I read books and and novels, but most of all, I I read the Bible. And that was the, and and he wrote this in prison and I'm sitting here thinking to myself as I'm reading it, I was like, you can't tell me this dude wasn't totally focused on God. I mean, he's in prison and he's writing his parents talking about, I'm healthy. I'm good. I can go outside. They even let me smoke cigarettes sometimes. It's, it's awesome. You know, I'm good. And I get to read and I get to, I get to build relationships with people and share the gospel with people. And it's just, 
And I just think to myself about this, you know, the society that we live in today and how it's just so vastly different than like no one would have that mindset inside of a prison. I mean, well, I don't I don't think a lot of people would have that mindset inside of a prison. They wouldn't be they wouldn't be thankful for where they are, where God has placed them with an opportunity to be the mediator between heaven and earth, between God and creation. But just like the first John passage of scripture that was saying to test the spirits behind somebody. Right. Um, do you remember the documentary Lock Up? It was either Lock Up or Locked Up, but yeah, I, it might yeah, have yeah. been National Geographic. Yeah, yeah. I mean, either way, it was a, you know just a, a television show. Like 60 and, Days In, stuff like that. I, I, the one that I know that I'm talking about was called Locked Up. I'm, okay. I, all right. And, sure, and we'll roll with it. Or, yeah. And, and they brought in the camera crews and they would go to different people. But you could tell the people that had content and thankful hearts mm-hmm. and you could tell the people that were eat up with how this is everybody else's fault and yada 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 and just you you could you could either hear and feel the fear the disgruntled the dissatisfaction the blame the guilt the shame yeah. or you'd hear somebody say man i i messed up my entire life but god gave it back to me and while i'm in here i'm going to love on the people that are in here yeah. and and both of them were going to live the same life in prison yeah but one found a way to be thankful and content mm-hmm. and literally you could watch them after their interviews and stuff and just like their body language and the way that they moved in the background. Yeah. You could see those that had been freed from right. what this world would call them or what others would say were going to happen to them. Right. And they had placed their trust in the, in the promise of God. Right. And could it have been jailhouse religion and yada, yada, yada. Once again, that's not for me to, to, to say, but it right. did strengthen me as a brother in Christ to see someone give the glory to Christ, even in the midst of their struggle, right. because then we're not that different. Right. Um, and when I do go into jails and prisons, one of the things I try to make sure the first time, well, first couple of times that I see these individuals is I'm not here to tell you what's right or wrong. Right. I'm here to tell you, I need you just as much as you need me if it's really about the Lord. And what I mean by that is this. If I come in, I I drive around all the time. Yeah. I, I go to work every day. Mm-hmm. Um, I go to Walmart. You know, I drive. Right. But when I go home after being in jail, I sure am more thankful about my drive because I'm not in jail. Yeah. And if there's brothers and sisters that I spend a couple hours with, and I know they're not going to drive, mm-hmm. and they're not going to have that freedom. Right. Well, then through that relationship, I respect and love and I'm thankful for my freedom in a new way because I know there's brothers and sisters that aren't going to experience that that day or night. Right. When I get to go home and hug my kids and my wife Mm -hmm. and they don't, then there's brothers and sisters in this world that love their kids and their wife the same way I do, but they do not have the privilege that I have. And it makes me thankful for the things I would have taken for granted. Right. In our culture, we take everything for granted. If, if it was pruned, there would, be a, there would be a season of shock. Oh, yeah. But the spirits inside of each other's hearts would eventually come to the surface because you would either be thankful for the little bit that you have right. or you would be totally disgruntled about what was taken away. Right. Well, you would take it. I think in, in a sense, you'd have people who are grateful for what they have and then you'd have others filling an eternal void for their for their own happiness or whatever pleasures or whatever have you i mean they would they would take it by force i mean they would they would literally go out and 
at the cost of others sees their happiness and their and their comfort and it's just like when you put it when you put it in when you do that illustration there you can see who is of god and who's of the world i mean i don't know how i don't know how else you couldn't because what i mean you're literally cutting other people's lives short to buy yourself an undetermined or unknown amount of time i mean who's to say that you're not going to shoot that one guy, then turn around and then get hit by an F-150. You know I mean? Like you don't know that, but once again, you're, you're attacking others for your own survival. And it is, it's just so contrary to the gospel and what the gospel preaches, but it's not. And at the same time too, I say that so nonchalantly, like it's not easy. I'm not sitting here saying that it's easy by any means whatsoever. It's hard. I mean, it's really hard. But Jesus didn't say it would be easy. He said it would be worth it. There's a huge difference between those two. And, and I would even venture to say that you can see that going to work tomorrow. Yeah. You'll see the people that are there trying to find something that they don't have, willing to narc on somebody and step over so-and-so oh, and yeah. try and shine. Absolutely. And they're driven by an insatiable thirst for something they're never going to receive and then you have the guys that are pretty consistent they come in they enjoy their day yep um whether i'm off or i'm at work i'm pretty much going to do the same thing right um it would just be that much more on the surface for sure i mean the more you turn it up the more you're going to see the results yeah so i I do want to ask this judas's role seemed to be predetermined before he was ever born so one could ask, did he ever have a choice to not betray Jesus? Because I do kind of want to get into the free will side of it a little bit. All right. So if if you remember when Jesus is getting his disciples, it says that they were assigned to him. Mm-hmm. Like literally he walked around and God told him this one, this that one, one, this yeah. one. All right. So Judas, if in, inside of the sovereign way history went right and the fact that he fulfilled david's prophecy mm-hmm. um you know that that's quoted in hebrews 12 right. and it's you know it's out of psalms right um that there was going to be this one individual there was someone that sovereignly in his predestination was going to live that life out to the full right um however he had choices that he made along the way that right. were his choices also right so sovereignly was judas picked by the hand of the lord as that disciple inside of that story well the sovereign word of god says yes mm. okay did can judas turn around and then say well it's then his father's fault because he's the one that, that selected me no he willfully chose to rebel and to have his own way the right. same way every one of us do yeah, yeah. So that's where it, it it's dangerous to start pointing your finger at people because if you got three point you know fingers pointing back at you and you point your finger at somebody yada yada yada. Right. But that's why I always point with four. Right. Right. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> so if you get really good at something you're not supposed to do, that's not a good thing. All right. Anyway, <laughs> this is a terrible joke. I'm sorry. <laughs> when we look at Pharaoh and it says three times that Pharaoh, that God. Harden Pharaoh's heart. And then six times it says that Pharaoh hardened his own heart. Right. All right. 
and it, and I may have those switched, but there's six times one way, three times the other way, but right. both of them are clearly in scripture that God hardened Pharaoh's heart. Mm-hmm. Although Pharaoh hardened his own heart right. and, you, and you say, okay, how can we consider God? In other words, with the Holy spirit, looking at this scripture, mm-hmm. I, I can only tell you where I'm at with my theology. And I will right. always tell you to write your theology in pencil because you will be changing it as you grow the entire time you're here. So yeah, solid we'll, advice. What I'm going to put forward is where I'm at through prayer over this particular question. And it's according to Ezekiel 36, God says, I'm going to clean you from your uncleanness. I'm going to remove your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I'm going to put my Holy Spirit within you. I'm going to cause you to walk and obey me. And this is all I, 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 I. All right. So God is the changer of the heart. If he doesn't change my heart, I will continue to harden my own heart by my own choices. Because it's the only heart I have. Right. Because if I'm born dead, spiritually separated from God. Right. Loving myself, because that's the only thing I know to do. Mm -hmm. Then if God doesn't change me, I'm going to choose freely to love myself and live inside of that death. Right. Because I don't have anything else. Right. And that's where, you know, Luther would call that the bondage of will and the fact that without the, the grace and the regeneration of the Holy Spirit to give you life. Right. You can only choose death because death is all you have bondage of will so you don't have free will you have free choice you can freely choose Mm -hmm. to love yourself yeah but you can't freely choose not to love yourself before you're regenerate because you don't have love god is love you don't really even know what love is you just know existence and survival Mm -hmm. and that centers around you right Uh, so long story short when i look at that pharaoh passage of scripture and i say okay god both of them are, are, are are declared proclaimed that means that God hardened Pharaoh's heart by not changing it. Yeah. And when he did not change his heart, Pharaoh continued to harden his own heart, living for himself, thinking that the other gods were true, thinking that it was all about him, thinking that he was the authority over Egypt. Right. His pride, his lust, his desires, his was still self-centered because God never changed his heart. So he didn't have the ability to do anything else. Right. So he chose freely mm-hmm. those choices, and then you take that forward and you say, I was that same way until, by the grace of God, he regenerated my heart by the gift of the Holy Spirit through the finished work of the Son for the glory of the Father to where I am part of the theology of the Scripture. Right. And, and that is what Christ says, I never knew you unless you understand that that's what this is about, because I came to make that bloodstained door like the Passover yeah. so that you don't have to live like Pharaoh and you can enter back into being my people. Now that you're my people, guess what? You're going to grumble about it. You're going to wish that you didn't have to do certain things. But as I reveal who I am, you should find yourself being more and more like that because of the love that you've received. Right. Um, and then there's a time and a process. And, and that's found, once again, in the Torah and, and the Exodus. Yeah. Uh, and, and then you're seeking in the Word of God your identity. And that, to me, is exciting. Well, I, uh, someone from church shared this with me a couple of weeks ago, and I kind of want to share it with everybody else because I told her today, I said, you're a... Uh, your little theory or illustration that you used the other day, I'm, I'm finding it everywhere. And the only thing that I can do with it is take it back to God. Cause that's what, you know, that's what matters is what God's showing me inside of my relationship with others and with him. And she was talking about, I was talking about somebody that I was struggling with, you know, interacting with and all those things. And she said, well, there's sandpaper. They're your sandpaper. 
And I thought to myself, I was like, what a weird sandpaper. What are you talking about? They rub you, they rub you the wrong way and they rub you, you know, in a sense that you want, it's irritating and you want to make it stop. But what you're, what I realized is, is that, yeah, they're, they're, they are bothering me and forcing me to kind of deal with certain things or whatever. But at the same time too, I have to love them at the cost of myself. So yeah, they're going to smooth me out here. And the way that you're agitating me now and what I'm learning now, God will use that. So the next time I run into someone else, you can't get me with that. I've already been, I've already, my edges have already been smoothed out on that part, which is the time and process that you're talking about. Cause not every person is going to treat you exactly the same. You know, you're going to have different scenarios and things that you used to not struggle with. You'll find yourself struggling with because you're growing and these are different challenges that come up and things that you thought that you have mastered and controlled. You sort of stop paying attention to them. And then the kingdom of darkness will use that against you to kind of be like, well, I bet I, you know, I bet I can get them to crack here. But also at the same time too, I'm very much aware of I'm a human. So yeah, people get on my nerves. People test my patience. People do all of those things. But how I, how I react and how I treat people is a reflection of what God is doing in my life and not on anybody else. That's what I have to be accountable for is what I do when people rub me the wrong way or spitefully use me or anything like that. I need to be carrying myself in a way that's pleasing to God because that's ultimately what matters to me. So let's think of Judas just for a second. Okay. And this is hot off the press because I've never really thought about this, but all right. So in other words, <laughs> as, as you're sharing that, what yeah. I was thinking about was and in their culture, Yeah. because it's hard for us to place ourselves back there. So I'm always challenging myself for sure. When you're sharing, I'm trying to put myself back in their cultures, what was going on. And, okay. and Hebrews 12 is what comes to my mind where it says that he is the author and perfecter of our faith. Right. Meaning that if I'm reading a book, written by an author. Yeah. I'm not arguing with the author while I'm reading a book like, oh no, I think I I should scratch this out. What he should have done is done this. <laughs> I wouldn't be reading the book, right? Right. So when I read the book by the author, the author is leading me somewhere to reveal the story. Right. And then at the end it's like, man, that was awesome. All right. So if we're a story mm-hmm. written by the Holy Spirit. Right. The problem is we keep trying in our own individualistic Right in uh, knowledge of good and evil, right? Keep standing up. So Judas Iscariot, let's see, was among the twelve mm-hmm. that all knew about family, honor, and shame culture, right? But instead, he was an individualistic capitalist <laughs> that steps out to get his own way by getting paid for selling his Lord because of the fact he knew what his Lord was capable of. Um, That's pretty much Western individualistic, therapeutic, moralistic deism. Yes. At its finest. Yeah, it is. So that means everyone that comes from that culture is walking through that. It's maybe that's part of his invitation is when you find yourself there, join back into the family because that's the story. Right. Because that gets back to the Hebrews 12, which is the full wrap as, as far as me getting excited about it. Because ultimately he says that he is the founder, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was before him endured the cross, despising its shame now that he's seated at the right hand of the, th- the throne of God. Mm-hmm. Tells you to consider enduring the same thing because your struggle with sin hasn't 
make made you you know resist to the point of shedding blood. However, he goes into, but my son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one that he loves, and he chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children. You are legitimate children and not sons. So if you're being invited into the family of God, which Mm -hmm. is the gospel, Mm -hmm. to where now your heavenly father, your father who is in heaven, hallowed be his name because you're now a child of God, B'nai Elohim, wrapping it back to that worldview, Mm -hmm. says that you should expect discipline, and nobody enjoys discipline because it hurts while you're sandpaper discipline. Yeah, it's not fun. All right? But the purpose is he's training you to be in the kingdom. Yeah. He's training you for the rest of the story. Right. If you're not being trained and you don't have the sandpaper and you can cut people out of your lives and you can just continue to isolate and continue to deteriorate and continue to just do it your way, the way that you choose, right? you're an illegitimate child if you say that you're a Christian because you're not a Christian because you're not being molded and you're not being disciplined because you're not a child of God. And where I always go with this illustration is Moses mm-hmm. with Pharaoh. Yeah. All right. Pharaoh's daughter finds Moses in the Nile, right? and they grow up together, the Pharaoh's son and Moses. right? Now, when Pharaoh came in and was like, let's teach my son how to, how to, come, Pharaoh. How to, how to come in my name and carry on this kingdom, yeah. Moses wasn't invited. No, he was not. It wasn't like, hey, you and Moses. It was no— <laughs> It's like, no, not you. My son— now, did Moses get to reap the benefits of the friendship? Did he yep. get to, I mean, all those things were available. And yes, he, he got to live above what he would have without that relationship. Oh, absolutely. But the relationship was not of a father and a son rising for the name of a kingdom mm. so that you could continue to be like your father and honor his name. Right. What is your story? Because yeah. if your story is about the kingdom of God, Judas was your brother. Yeah. So if you can say, I hope my brother's in hell, mm. that has to do with your wicked heart, not Judas's. Right. Would you, well, go ahead. Continue. No, no. So, so as you drop down here in 12, it gets to the fact, the fact that it says um, Esau cries out for his birthright and he's rejected because he found no chance to repent, though he sought it with tears. That's, the, that's 17. But before that, in 15, it says, See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, and that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble. How do you, as a child of God, if that's your story, you've been disciplined, but then he says, See that no one fails to obtain the grace of God. Whose responsibility is that? Uh, Probably mine. Probably ours. (laughs) Right? So we are to be extending the grace of God. So what is the extension of the grace of God? Let me die for you. Ah. It, 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 what did Jesus say? I have come only because the Father has sent me to make his name known to the principalities and the, th- and, and the things that you can't overcome. Right. But I'm laying my life down for you. If mm. you'll pick my life up, mm. you'll find life. Now, that should be in our hearts and in our mouths. Right. To where the root of bitterness doesn't spring up. Now, what, do we, what would be the root of bitterness? Mm, wanting, wanting myself spared, I guess, not to not have to go through those things, I guess. All right. So think of the emotion, anger. Okay. 
when you think of anger, yeah, define it for me. Uh, give me your best definition. There's a righteous anger, right? And are you talking about righteous anger or just anger? Anger. Just tell, talk to me about the emotion itself. When you think of anger, what do you think of? Uh, uncontrollable rage. Just like want to break stuff, man. Like a Limp Biscuit song in the nineties. I don't know. I, I would say that rational thoughts kind of go out the window. It's just something to. I guess let me let me just peel the onion back here. Be a little transparent when it comes to anger, and you anger me. I am I I am one of those people that I will say terrible things just so you'll quit messing with me. You'll just leave me alone. Like I'm trying to self-preservation because the emotion has almost like it almost try it almost basically like safeguards me against the the attack it's like if i can be ruthless enough i can get them to to leave me alone you know i guess i don't know i'm trying to, all right so the bible says to be angry without sin yeah well yeah it's okay to be angry just don't sin so define anger if you can be angry Okay. And it doesn't necessarily have to lead to sin. Mm-hmm. Put that together for me. Like you said, it can be used for self-protection. It can be used to lash out. Right. But not sin? <laughs> That's what it says. <laughs> I mean, I guess it's just, just to have a, a negative thought, but not to act on those things, not to take it further than the emotion. When the emotion rises up to not give it more life, not not act on it, not do the things that you want to do, but instead control it, like have self-control and not give it more power than it already has currently inside of you. Because it's there. I mean, it's not like, so you mean you have the ability to do something with it, to act on it, or you have the ability to be self-controlled and say, I'm pissed off, but I'm not going to, I'm not going to make this worse. Because I could make it worse, and that's probably one of the lessons I know that for a fact. That's a lesson I've learned. Marriage has taught me that. I just, I just don't. I'm just, I'm, just, I'm not doing it. Like I'm mad, and where I'm not, nothing good's going to come from the conversation. So we just need to stop here. So God gave you anger. Yeah. So anger has a right relationship, right purpose, right. or else He wouldn't say be angry, right? But without sin, right. So the sin is the separation from the right relationship. Right. Anger is an emotion that says you must move forward. Mm, interesting. If you don't move forward, you're just going to suppress your anger, and your anger is still going to want to move forward, and you're going to end up with what happens inside of your heart over time, and that becomes the root of bitterness. Ah, interesting. Because you're bitter over not expressing your anger, because right. your anger was meant to be expressed, mm. and you suppress the truth by your ungodliness and your unrighteousness. That's mm. Romans 1. All right, so but if I take a two liter of Dr Pepper, yeah, and I shake that song on up and I hand it to you, but yeah. I don't tell you I shook it, yeah. When you release the cap, yeah, hey, all that carbonation that was suppressed in the liquid, it's all the top, baby. it's coming out, yeah, because chemically I suppressed it, right. But with the right agitation, oh, it's still there, yeah, yeah, yeah. and it's coming. All right, okay. so anger without sin. If we talk about Psalms 4, 4, which is where Paul brings Ephesians out of, it, it talks about those that are of the Lord have been set apart for the Lord. And ultimately, uh, you know that the Lord has set apart the godly for himself. Yahweh hears when I call him. Be angry 
and do not sin. Ponder in your hearts on your beds and be silent. Offer right sacrifices and put your trust in the Lord. So what did he just say? You can be angry mm-hmm. and you can think about it. Mm-hmm. But do it in silence, but still moving forward with it. So a lot of times we take our anger, but we don't take our anger to God. Mm, interesting. You know, we anger, like you said, I want to protect myself. I want to be, I, I'm going to take vengeance. This is about me. Right. All right. So that's anger with sin. Yeah. All right. For sure. But anger without sin is like you just said, know that you are mine, right. that I hear you. Yeah. That as you get angry and you start to ponder, you start to think about it in your own heart. Mm-hmm. Why don't you shut your mouth and do business with me on the inside? Because you can't get in any trouble for that. Right. Right. Whether it's with your wife or anybody else, you can get as angry as you want with God. Yeah. And God happens to be God and he's not scared of any yeah, of he us. He ain't scared of my anger. Okay. So when you do that, you're offering a sacrifice of not reacting like the rest of the world does. When Jesus goes and he receives the 40 lashes, mm-hmm. do you remember anything that stands out about it? Uh, he didn't make a sound. Oh, yeah, that's right. So he intentionally took every lash without giving them the satisfaction. Of hearing him groan. But he cried out to the Father every lash, I promise you, because it had to go somewhere. Right. All right, so if we would learn to internalize and go the right direction with our emotions, this is just one of the emotions. Right. But anger, if we go back to Ephesians 4, mm-hmm. says this, and, and this is how I know that you haven't really ever pondered on this verse, because I love this verse. It says, be angry, but do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Mm-hmm. All right? So what is the sin and the anger? I'll read it to you again. Be angry. Right. All right. So be the way that I created you. And when something wells up in you and you know you need to address it, you need to address it. Right. But don't separate from me with it. Hmm. And whatever you do, don't let the sun go down on your anger because it'll give an opportunity to the devil. So basically, when you have anger, deal with it then, but don't. Don't just suppress it and leave it inside of you because it's going to want to push forward. So if I get angry at Mick, mm-hmm. which I'm sure has happened, that but if I get angry at Mick, yeah, and Mick disrespects me and walks off, yeah, I still have the anger. Yeah. Now I can deal with it with the Lord and not have it when the sun goes down because I've dealt with it, right? Or I can wait to see Mick the next time I see Mick. Yeah, I'm starting to not like him. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to hold on to it for three days. Oh, man. Now, for three days, my focus has been on my anger at Mick, which has opened up an opportunity to the devil to be able to make me focus on this world, my flesh, my way, my authority. Right. And stolen the three days of having settled it with the Lord when Mick walked away. Yeah. Because vengeance is his. Right. And I should pray for my brother, even though I'm angry at him, that he figure out whatever it is that I would want him to know. Right. But I'll trust the God that reveals all things and I'll pray for him to reveal it to him. Yeah. Now I wouldn't mind if he falls and scuffs his head, me but neither. that's not, not up to me. God, you do it however you need to do it. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's not hard to do. I have a really big head. So I got that going for me. Yeah. Be angry, mm-hmm. but don't let it separate me and you. And certainly don't do it for a long period of time because it's just going to give the opportunity to the flesh, the world, and the devil. Right. Is, is, is those, those two verses. And that's a powerful, powerful thing because that means for the very first time 
I don't have to get, I don't have to satisfy my anger. Right. God does. Right. Mm. And I can trust God to do it. I can't trust myself to do it. Oh yeah, absolutely. My whole life's an an example of me not being able to express my anger, to fulfill my anger, the root of bitterness, because I never get to do anything with it. And I bottle it up and God says, well, why don't, why don't you give it to me? Yeah. Which is, I mean, and also at the same time too, not doing it for a really long time when you start to try and do that, you almost don't feel as satisfied as you did before because you're, well, I mean, it goes against what you've been doing most of your life. So it's different. So it's not the same. It's not the same release. It's not the same relief. It's different. It's different in a sense, but I know for me personally that going in inside of it and doing it that way and saying, I, you know, being the way that I was picked on a lot, you, you learn to pretty much clap back at people, you know, so I can get into a ver- verbal, you know, scuffle with you going back and forth. But now inside of that, God's teaching me to take those things on the chin. And I think sort of like with the way, what used to really upset me and, and drive me to want to lash out and defend myself. Now it's sort of like, yeah, you can have that. I don't care. Yeah, you can have that. I don't care either. So let's return to Judas. Okay. All right. So Judas is at the Passover supper. Yeah. He's pissed because of the money that went to the perfume instead of going to the poor. Right. And he's angry. Yeah. He's like, I know what I'll do. And he's like, exactly. Satan enters into him through an opportunity, which is anger about what happened with the perfume. That's interesting. And he allows it to drive him to That's interesting. form a plan to go get the money yeah. and get God to do what only God can do, but he knows he's God. Right. So he talks himself into, through his anger, an emotion God gave him, but in the right, wrong relationship, it leads him to this. Because all he had to do was be angry and then say, Hey Jesus, you know I'm kind of pissed about the, the the perfume. Yeah, and then let Jesus speak into it. Right, and then the devil wouldn't have had the opportunity. He right. probably, you know, in that scenario, he wouldn't have gone through the rest of his plan. Right, and the uh, the story changes. Right, all right, but today that's available still for us. Yeah, Judas is an example. Right, um, and he's a fulfillment because right. I mean, literally in the scripture, Jesus says over in John 17. Uh, let me read it that way. I don't make it up. John seventeen twelve, I think is what it is, but, um, well, not make it up, but say it wrong. Yeah, I know. Um, I know he says, funny. while I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. Right. I have guarded them and not one of them has been lost except for the son of destruction that the scripture might be fulfilled. Mm-hmm. But now I'm coming to you. All right. So the reason it happened was for the fulfillment of the scripture that David had forecasted through the fulfillment of Christ. But one of the 12 had to play the role. Right. It was anger that opened up the door. Anger, pride. I mean, the same same things that we would struggle with that I would would allow that to take place right. is the example. I mean, so, so could you say there that he hardened his own heart by by giving instead of taking the anger to to Jesus and letting him speak into it, he just hid it within himself and tried to resolve the situation and say, Oh, I know, I know how I can get him to do what I want him to do. All I got to do is do this. And then he has no choice, but to do what I know he can do, what I know he's capable of. And then I'll be right. So Ezekiel 36 says, what about the heart? I've already said it like 10 times today. Well, he'll give it. Is that Ezekiel 36 is the one where he says he'll give us a new heart, right? He will. That he's the one that, that, 
restores us and all right, so I will give you a new heart right. and a new spirit I will put within you. Right. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. Right. All right, so the difference in a heart of stone and a heart of flesh is a heart of flesh needs blood. Yep. All right, and it's soft. Yeah. Okay, so if we look at Jesus being the perfect fulfillment of the right relationship with no sin and separation, right? if Jesus would have gotten upset at Judas, what would Jesus have done? Uh let anger have the or make the door, I guess, right? That anger would have motivated Jesus to do something with it. He would have started by going to his father, and then after going to his father, he would have gone and addressed Judas. Right. So the right answer for Judas would have been to be motivated by his anger, to pray to God, Yahweh the Father, and then go talk to Jesus after having prayed to God the Father. Right. All right, so that would be the soft heart. Right. The opposite would be, I don't need the blood of God. I don't need a soft heart. What I need is I need to do it my way. I've got a plan. Let mm. me go do it. And that would be the hardening of the heart that you're saying. I mean, yeah. that. so it's returning to the old way, right. the old name, the old heart, the heart that doesn't need the softness, the heart yeah. that doesn't need the blood, the, the, basically the heart that doesn't need Yahweh. Right. I've got a plan and I'm going to go do it. Yeah. And Satan would love for that foothold because he's going to be the one in the background saying, yeah, that'll work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but see, I think it's so funny to me that there's a whole group of people that would skip the part where you had anything to do with that, and they jump straight to, oh, that was the devil. So you have that side. That, yeah. Oh, I mean, the devil wasn't done with me, and then all of a sudden, I was, I was good with God, and everything was, and then, psh, man, the devil just, I, I, the devil did it again. <laughs> and it's like, okay, but you've got to take some responsibility. And then other people would say, you should be like me because I never let the devil do that. Yeah. And you're like, you oh, dude, you are so confused. No, 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 no. I've got the right doctrine. And what I'm just, I'm, <laughs> I'm just letting you know, you're going to hell. <laughs> it's like, well, um, okay. All uh, right. That was, well, that I was, love you too. Yeah. Right. <laughs> I love you too. <laughs> Yay, Jesus. Yeah. Oh. To be meek is to have the power, but not lose the love. Right, and the meek inherit the earth. The meek are inside the the the, the beatitudes. To be right. meek means you understand you have been regenerate right. by the grace of God, but it makes you softer, not harder. Right. And now I'm not saying that every every one of us is, isn't going to harden their heart. Every one of us isn't going to fail. Every one of us. But when I do, it's not like and then the devil did. No, that was all me. I and then I chose even inside of my blessed relationship to do it my old way. Right. And then the circumstances, situations that that created, I had to walk through. But I'll tell you this, I didn't do it alone. Yeah. Because he never left me. He never forsook me. His faithfulness inside of my faithlessness becomes part of the story right. to where his trustworthiness proves itself through my failures, my hardening of the heart. Right. And that's the gospel. Yeah. And, and I mean, you talk about suicide. Okay. So if. Judas takes his life yeah. in remorse over what he did. Right. Now, legalists and those that believe in works mm -hmm. will say, oh, well, his last action was uh, murder. Yep. So he's going to go to, to hell yep. because of he didn't get to repent. Like, right. like his physical repentance works because he's already done that and it didn't work apparently. Right. However, um, the gospel isn't about what you've done. It's about what God's done. Right. It also says that there's a book, Lamb's Book of Life, where your name has always been written in the book. Yeah. Ooh, 
kind of that getting back to that predestined thing. There's sovereignly those that Ephesians says he knew before the foundation of the earth. Right, right, right. Uh, that's before you were born or did anything. Yes. Right or wrong. Yeah. Um. So let's see. If I am so heartbroken over my failure in my relationship to God and in the dark night of the soul, I take my life because of how much I love him and what a failure I am. Nope. You know what? He didn't wake up and say, I'm sorry. <laughs> I just don't know if I can believe it. Yeah. Right. But the evidence of the love and the heartbreak is what God says. I, I, I would much rather have mercy than sacrifice. Right. I would much rather you have a heart of contriteness and brokenness, which is what it takes to enter, than to have a prideful heart that I never committed suicide. <laughs> That's why they're going to hell. And right. it's like you're missing the whole point. The hungering and the thirsting is a heart condition. The heart condition is the broken and contrite. If someone has committed suicide in your family and somebody has told you that they went to hell, they don't know what they're talking about without all of the other things that nobody gets to know but God. Yeah, I think it's it, it's not it's not wise. And I and but that get that gets back to what we we're saying though. If someone was so so broken and so desperate for something different that they would end their own life you're honestly going to sit there and tell me look me dead in my eyeballs and say and say it the way that you mean it that you hope that person's in hell the the desire and the hatred that that takes is is one thing at the core yeah the other thing is you're wanting to depend on the grace of god but then saying it hinges on your works. Right. And you've got it backwards. Yeah. And, I mean, it almost sounds like it's different for me than it is for you. When I build that out, in other words, I've done this before with someone, when I do go to the prisons and the jails and people ask me questions, my big hook is if you ask me a question that I haven't ever spent time on, right. I'm actually selfishly going to be more excited about the question because it's something I haven't actually thought about. Like, so, Ooh, that's a good one. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, and, it's, and it's not even like, oh, my brotherly love for you. It's like, ooh, I want to know the answer to that in my own selfish way. But what I will do for seven days, I will go study it. I will pray over it. I right. will get all the information that I can. And then I'm going to come back and I'm going to give it to you. And I'm not going to give you my opinion. I'm not going to give you where I'm at with it. Right. I'm literally going to say, here is all of the information. And then a week from now, yeah. I'm going to pray for you while you prayerfully go through this information. And then me and you are going to sit down and we'll talk after you've spent your time with the Lord. I got to spend my time with the right. Lord. And then when we sit down, we're going to talk about it. I have built this out over the suicide and it's, it's downright wrong. Yeah. I mean, you're, you're returning to thinking that, oh, if I would have said I'm sorry, I would have been in. Right. But because I didn't say I'm sorry and I did do this, I'm out. And it's like, either you were in off of the grace and the choice of God or you weren't. Or you weren't. Yeah, it's either or. And if you want to go on your works, we're all going in the ground, still eat up with pride, yeah. still eat up with self-love, yeah. still eat up with uh, you know tons of things that we deserve hell for. Right. Other than the truth of God saying, no, he's mine. He's been covered in my blood and right. now taken on a position of being filled with the Holy Spirit. Yeah, I, I, think about, I think about Peter a lot. Like, look inside, inside of Paul and Peter and, and their interactions inside of the book of Acts and stuff like that. There are plenty of times where you have, <clears throat> excuse me, the, 
the head apostle, like the head of the church, you have him making mistakes being called out by Paul and saying, what are you doing? Don't do that. But yet then you'll have the person who is not the head of the church come to me and say, well, I, yeah, I don't struggle with that. That's not, a, that's not a problem of mine. That's not this. And I'm thinking to myself, dude, who, what? Like that. To me, it doesn't it doesn't make any sense. It's just like you're not being real. You you want to win the argument. You not you don't understand what you're actually saying. At the end of the day, and I, I know with my relationship with God that there are things that absolutely break my heart, and you know they they stir up an emotional response in me that I that I don't really I don't like. I mean, I'm not a big fan of it or whatever, but. My heart breaks for that person in the situation that they're in, and there were there are things that I wish I could do to change that, but the only thing that I know to do that's actually going to help is to partake in intercessory prayer for that person and lift them up to God and say, "This is, I know this person needs this right now to go that they're going through this, and you're the only person that can change the heart. You're the only person that can comfort a tormented soul. You're the only one that has the answers, and if by any means at all, you're going to use me to give hope to that person who's in this terrible situation or circumstances, then praise God for it. But at the end, at the end of the day, I just, I just, I just struggle with it really hard with people. I struggle really hard with people who are so quick to say that other people are going to hell when they act like they don't struggle at all, or they haven't failed, they haven't failed, or they haven't lived up to the expectations that God has for us. And and a part of the works thing, you're saying our works are filthy rags to him. Like it's one of the concepts that I think a lot of people like struggle with. But at the end of the day, it's a true it's a true statement. If you being a good person, we'll use you as an example because you're a firefighter. You're there's a fire. You're not safe. You go into the burning building. You rescue the baby, and you come out. And everybody's like, oh, oh, Eric, the hero, he saved this baby, he did such a good thing. Guess what? That does not matter to God. It's, I mean, that, that good deed that you did is outside, is out, is, it, you're in the wrong relationship with God. So yeah, you can say that it's a good deed, but according to the word, it still doesn't make a hill of beans. Okay, that's if I'm a lost firefighter. Yeah, if, I, I, if, I, if, if I'm a saved firefighter and I'm in right relationship. Oh my God. So ultimately, the scripture says your most righteous work is a filthy rag unto God. And that means menstrual rag and blood was un- unclean. Yeah. All right. Now, what he's saying there is your most righteous thing you do, if it's done outside of right relationship, which is your point. Yeah, I was just using this as um, an example. A-, a mother has a child. Yeah. If she is not in right relationship with God, that child is mine. Yeah. Look what I had. Look at my baby. Right. In right relationship, she says, look what God has given me. Look how he's trusted me with something I don't even know what to do with. And and, and you got the right relationship, wrong relationship. Isn't that Hannah's prayer inside of Scripture? Uh, I, I mean. <laughs> don't chase the rabbit, I'm sorry. H- Hannah, yeah, so Eli thinks she's drunk. She's saying that she'll give her baby holy unto the Lord, which is Samuel. And Yes, we're not going to chase that one. Okay, but, sorry. But. Two things. Num- number one, your most righteous work is a filthy rag unless it's in right relationship. But then in right relationship, 
all of your works have a righteous element to it because it's either teaching you how to trust him more through your failures or you're having success that you know only is because of him because of the right relationship. Right. The second thing is there is no head apostle and there is no head of the church other than the Magnes, the unique son of God, and there's only one of Jesus. Right. Because Peter was not the head of the church. And upon this rock, I'll build my church. It has nothing to do with Peter. It has to do with the geographical location that they're standing at, which is Mount Hermon. Yeah, but the you. Catholic church wanted to make Peter the lead right. because they wanted to make it about man. And as soon as we, as soon as we shift into thinking that there is this person that's better than us, right. other than the unique son of God, mm-hmm. we end up competing for something other than the gospel, which right. is Jesus is the unique son. He is the only one that can be the perfect fulfillment. Right. Well, it's like Paul said, there's only one cornerstone and that's, that's Christ. There is no Amen. other foundation to be built upon. Right. So then when we look at Peter, instead of making Peter the lead apostle, he's the hothead that had full of pride that had to be broken multiple times because Jesus was preparing him with his hard headedness to be able to fulfill everything he got to be part of after Christ had finished his work. Right. And that invites knuckleheads like me that get too far ahead of myself. And I realize I see myself in Peter, but that certainly doesn't mean because I'm the pastor, I'm the head of the church and people get caught up in that. And, and and, and when you do that, it hurts you and it hurts everyone underneath you. And Mm -hmm. it certainly becomes not what God intended because I'm a fellow elder. I'm a fellow brother. I, I, I do want people to look unto me, Mm -hmm. but when they look unto me, it's definitely not as their head. It's me and you going towards the head, Jesus Christ. Um, which, which, which just sidebar as, as you were sharing it, those, those are the two things that as you were sharing, it's like, absolutely. No matter what character you pull out of the scripture, other than Christ, they were a mess up. Yes. But yet the perfection of Christ, the fulfillment of Christ used every one of them orchestrated perfectly inside of the story of God, which then our story gets to be part of yes. the one we're living. Yeah. Um, the, the, un, the, the, the unrighteous rag, the filthy rag, our works, it's when you stop trying to work that you start to understand. And then you do it out of love. So in other words, uh, John 14, 15, or I'll I'll pull it up that way. Once again, it's not that I'm making it up. It's just (laughs) that, uh, you know, all right. So John 14, yeah, John 14, 15 says this. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. All right. Now, if, if, if I'm brand new in the faith and I'm still trying to show God how much I love him, when I read that verse, what I used to read when I was a young disciple is, if you love me, you will look unto my commandments. That word keep is not do because there's another right. word for do. All right. Either way, though, you will keep my commandments. What I read is, I'm going to wake up tomorrow, and because I love him, I'm going to just look unto him. Mm-hmm. and then tomorrow happens, and by 9 o'clock first break, I've already forgotten about God, and it's like, oh, man, I failed again. <clears throat> yeah, that happens. All right, but through my failures, I finally stop thinking I can, because I've proven I can't, and when I, when I really have that settled in my heart, when I read this, it becomes, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments, you'll look to my commandments. It literally says, 
if you would just continue falling in love with me, you'll find yourself looking to my commandments. Mm. Right? Without the without the shame, without the guilt, without the weight, without the performance, without the because you can't do any of that. It's all filthy rags to me. Right. What is beautiful to me is the love of my son from mm-hmm. the love of the father that is now the spirit that's within you. Mm-hmm. And if you would just fall in love with who you already are, you will find yourself loving my commandments. You'll find yourself going back to the Torah and saying, I want to be more like him because of the name that I have received. Right. I get to be part of this story. Mm-hmm. I don't have to do anything to be part of the story. I'm the mess up that he saved, right. just like the rest of the story. Right. And and when that takes place, there is a peace beyond understanding. There's the, you know, don't lean on your understanding and la- allow him to lead you. Well, he has to lead you in his finished work. He's right. not leading you into you have to finish his work for him. Right. Um, and, and, and it becomes you read verses different because you see the depth in them. It's an and I'm not saying it's like, a, you know, people, oh, it's like a letter of invitation. Well, it is that. Oh, it's like a here's the rule book. He made us. Here's your manual. It's like, no, 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 that's not what it is. It's not it's not a you know manual of instruction. Does yeah. it have instructions? Yes. yes. Yeah. But that's not what it was written for. It was, it was written for you to find yourself in the principles of the love of God so that you can share the love of God and it not be on you. It's all on him. Right. Well, I was going <clears> to <throat> ask right before we get to the, you know, wrap it up or whatever. And I, I may be wrong in this, but where Christ is talking about, if you don't believe my words, then at least believe in my works. And I was listening to a debate the other day and a guy was saying, well, it sounds an awful lot like what you're saying is it's a works based salvation. But when I heard him say that, and I thought about what Jesus said, what Jesus said in there in that, in that certain scenario, He's basically saying, if you can't, if, if me telling you is not enough, then look at the things that God has done through me and believe, believe that evidence, believe that evidence. If you don't believe the wisdom that I'm giving, that I'm telling you and imparting to you and trying to, that God's trying to show you through me, through our right relationship, then, then look at what I've done and understand that I'm doing this in right relationship. The reason that this is able to happen is because I'm not separated from God. He hears me. I know who I am. And because of that, because I have lowered myself to love God and love others at the cost of myself, and I'm not separated from God, the Holy Spirit can flow through me, and it produces the evidence of these good works. It's not, I'm doing these good works to get something. It's because of what I already have that these works are able to float, that God is able to flow through me because I'm not separated from him. Okay, and and I would say it's because of who you are. Well, that's what I was saying. Right, and and, and you said it <clears throat> without saying it because, I mean, it, it, everything you were saying is exactly that. If you remember, it is in John 14 that believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me or else believe on the account of the works themselves. Right. All right, but this is right after... I'm never going to deny you. 
And he just said, you're going you're gonna to love each other. I'm going to yeah. give you a new commandment. It's not new at all. It's really an old commandment. Right. The people are going to know you by the way you love one another because right. that love comes from the Father, right. and you're going to be different. Right. And that's going to be that extension of grace. That's going to be dealing with your anger on the internal to be able to be free of it. So then he says, listen, guys, he's an idiot talking about Peter. He goes, but don't let your hearts be troubled. Right. All right. And he says, you believe in God, believe yeah. in me also. Right. So you believe in the Father, and you believe in Yahweh. And right. what I'm saying is believe in my words the way you've believed his words, because mm. they knew the Torah, they knew the Old Testament. Right. And he's saying, when this happens, you're going to be able to know that I'm going back to my father's house, that it's about the family name, that I'm going away, the dowry's been paid, Satan is going to have been paid my blood. I'm coming back as your husband, the 10 virgins waiting for the husband to come back. Mm -hmm. Five of them are filled with the Holy spirit, the promise of God, and they don't have to run back and forth to conferences and concerts and everything else. And you got five that do because they're playing (laughs) church and they're running back and forth and they miss Christ coming back because he comes back in an hour. That's going to reveal playing church or in right relationship. But you start to mold these things together and and he's like, and where I'm going, you're coming with me. And Philip's like, "Uh, I don't know where you're going. Well, I didn't ask you to know. I need you to know that I'm the way, the truth and life. And no one's going to enter back into this without me. Right. And then he says, you know, if you don't believe in the fact that I'm in the father and the father's in me, at least believe in the works also. And Philip goes, so just show us the father. (laughs) And we're back to this. Oh my gosh, you guys are, I cannot believe that these are the ones that the father has picked. Okay. And then he gets into, you know, (laughs) building that out. And and, and he, 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 this is the same author, John, right. That when we get over to the, my father's the vine dresser, I'm the vine, Mm -hmm. you're a branch. Yeah. And if you'll shut up and be a branch, then the the life of the vine will flow through you and it'll birth fruit that gives life unto this world right for the vine dresser that has orchestrated and planted and continues to grow and ties together the weak right. with the strong and mm-hmm. is leading us into where the fruit's supposed to go yeah. um but you're a branch yeah yeah and you're if you don't like that he can cut you off and let you go into the fire but if you are a branch he's going to prune you well that's not fair yeah, you're a branch, right? <laughs> you're, you're a branch. Right. It, it, so then you go back to John 3 where he's, you know, the, the Pharisees come to John the Baptist and he's like, no, 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 that I must decrease. He must increase because right. the one that comes from heaven speaks of heavenly things and the right. person of earth can only understand earthly things. And right, right. You see this playing out later in John, the same disciple. Yeah. It's, it's one message, which is you are a child of God right. because of God's choice. He is your God. You are his people. Now you bear his name. Don't bear his name in vain. Mm. So therefore, the things you do are about who you are and are about who he is to where when you look at the Ten Commandments and you're like, I can't keep any of them. Yeah, because they're about God. They're not about you. Right. All right. So the fact that they're about God means that you would fall in love with them. And if you fell in love with God, you would find yourself looking to these Ten Commandments, not because they restrict you, but because they tell you who he is and you want to know who he is. Right. So, I mean, like, you know, Paul Walsh will be like, so like, I'll go to the college campuses where they're all mad about me, you know, pro- you know proclaiming the law of God. And it's like, which one do you not like? Because, <laughs> I mean, what heathen is going to stand up and be like, I think I should be able to do adultery. You know, I, I think I should be able to steal your stuff. Yeah, it's like, I, it, so. Wait, wait, you mean I can't kill you? Yeah. Come on, man. 
I should be able to put other gods in front of you. I thought you said you're an atheist. Well, you know what I mean. <laughs> it's like, you're the one that believes in God, but you can't use my argument. It gets real funny real quick when you put it out of the right relationship. <laughs> right. Ultimately, it really does come down to honor and shame for your family name because you are now a child of God through the miraculous choice and work of God. Amen. Happens to be sovereign, happens to be predestined. Yeah. Then in the foreknowledge, you have the ability to choose because your will has been freed inside of right relationship to where you get to find out what's in your own heart. Deuteronomy 8, 2 and 3. I, I, I he, he, the Bible is written on a sixth grade reading level. Yeah. It's one story repeated from, I don't know, 66 books. Yeah. Plus the history of man. It's, yeah. it's not, it's not rocket science. No, it's not. I think the, the problem, it still always to me just boils back down to, we want to be the God of our own lives. I mean, most of the time, I mean, that's what it boils down to. It's like, well, that's not that's not fair. I wouldn't do it that way. And it's like, yeah, of course you wouldn't. You're not God. The things we say and write do way more physical damage than things you do with your hands. Mm. So at the end of one of the podcasts that we haven't aired yet, I, I get into the fact that, and I was to see if Mick would read anything about it, and I, I don't know if he has, but I don't think he has. Oh. Where I was talking about Calvin ends up getting blamed for killing people that didn't agree with him when he's in Switzerland. Oh, okay. Yeah, I do remember that. All right. Now, if you'd have gone and researched it, there's a lot of, some people say he did, some people say he didn't, some people say this, some people say that. And I was, I was waiting for him to come back with, hey, man, I mean, so which, what, what, what in here is true? And it's like, the answer is yes. <laughs> and so did Calvin actually kill anyone with his two hands? No. But did he teach they deserve to die because they don't agree with me? Yes. So 63 people, I think it is. And that depends on the number. Some people say it's 59. Some people say it's 63. Um, if it's more than one or two, it's too many. Yeah. Um, get killed because they do not line up with his version of the theology. And he says, well, it's God's will for them to die. Yeah. So. The story that we live by does more damage than the things you do and say because the things you do and say grows out of the story that you believe. That's good. And so the 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 the, the gist of in the beginning the word entered and the word was with God and the word was God. Whatever word you're believing in your heart is what is growing your works mm -hmm. and your your the things you say, the things you write, the things you do are coming out of the story that you believe. Uh that's good. So we're the only creature like that. We're the right. only creature that can sit in our living room and watch a movie and actually start crying because Pete's dragon died. Well, I mean, it was sad, dude. It's my movie that I cry at. That's the only movie that I know that I cry <laughs> at. Pete's dragon was, I mean, once again, I don't know if I would at this age, but that was the one that, that and E.T., when I grew up, those were the two that I can remember made me cry. But yeah. we were the only... E.T. is super sad. ...animal that watches the television and can get caught up with a story and be consumed in the story even though we're sitting in a living room. Wow. We literally go somewhere else. Yeah. We, we join into the story. Right. Um, we're the only creature created for that, to know and be known by God, to know and be known by the story. But what you believe about why you're here, what you do and what you say comes out of who you believe you are. 
And Satan is trying to make you think it's about the world, the flesh, and the devil. And in the gospel, the polemic of Yahweh's truth is no, you're eternally created for the kingdom of God. Well, what is the kingdom of God? Be a disciple and a learner and find out. Yeah. That was really good. All right, so I, I, I think I want that to be the takeaway that we have. So you said, say it one more time because that's one of those that like somebody needs to write down and put it on the fridge for at least like a month. I, and if no one else does it, I'll do it. But you said whatever story that we're a part of is what is is how we is how we act. Whatever story we find ourselves in is is the is the is where the works we'll find that come out of us. Is that what you said? What'd you say? The story that you believe is going to birth every word that you say, everything that you think, everything that you do is coming out of the story of who you believe you are. Mm. And who you are depends on whose you are because, once again, in the Bible, he says, no, you're not of my father. You're of your father, the devil. Right. So you're either out of the father of the deception or you're out of the father of truth. Right. You're either out of the true claim or you're out of this, this false claim. One leads to shame and to guilt and to blame. The other leads to peace and to patience and to hope. Mm. And that's dangerous because we know a lot more shame, guilt, and and, and anger than we do the peace and the patience and the kindness and the goodness and the self-control. Now, the question is not which one you currently find yourself in. My question is which one's growing? Mm. That's good. Uh, So, you know, the fruit of the Spirit, when you go over to Galatians 5, 23 or 26, these things should be growing, and it doesn't mean that they're the majority in your heart right now. The beauty is they will be. Yeah. Why? Because he said so. Because that's the promise. That's his story. Mm-hmm. Now you're his. Right. Who am I? I'm a child of God, born through grace, because there's nothing good in me apart from that promise. Amen. So now that I have that promise, and that promise was in the beginning, that promise was with God, that promise is a version of God that I get to be part of, Mm. then in him was life, and the life was the light of men, and that means the Holy Spirit was the light that shines in the darkness, and I have the Holy Spirit in the womb of my heart. Has that happened to you as you listen today? Because I... Here's the thing. Over in Thessalonians, it talks about the imperishable seed. Mm. There's perishable seed and there's imperishable seed. And the question is to be born again means for you to be the wife, the bride of Christ. Have you ever received your husband to where you took on the imperishable seed as you had intimate intercourse to be known by God? To where the imperishable seed goes into the womb of your heart and births a brand new life. That's regeneration. That's being born again. So now my heart has been regenerate by the gift and choice of God because I became the one that received a new name inside of the promise of a marriage covenant because of who he is and what the Father has paid. When that becomes my story, my story resets and I get to work through all of the false things that I believed before because they were from my father, the father of lies. But my heavenly father has paid the dowry of his son's blood so that I could take on a name through his promise. And now I am his. That's the story. Mm. The question is, is it yours? Mm. And that's. Now, Judas heard that story. Yeah. 
Judas knew, just like the other 11, I have no idea whether Judas is in heaven or hell, but I'll tell you this, I don't want anyone to not have grace, and I sure hope to meet him when I get to heaven. Amen. Amen. We're going to leave it there. That's that's really good. Hopefully there's, there, I know there's tons to think about. I know this one's going to throw me for a loop when it airs, but it'll be good though. Hopefully I have some like better, better questions we can talk about a little bit more <laughs> later on. I don't know, man. It's just, it's, I just think it's super interesting. And I don't think a lot of people really think about it, think about it that way. The, like a lot of the things that you said with Judas walking with Jesus and seeing the miracles and stuff like that, I think we push that we kind of push that to the side and we don't, we don't do like you've, like you've said before, we don't think about being the 13th disciples swatting flies, you know, and dealing with the hot and dealing with the conditions and all that stuff. We don't, we don't think anything about that. We kind of just so quickly get to the position of, Oh yeah, he's in health, you know? And, and I think that it, it'll do us a lot of good to honestly think about these things and think about the relationships that we have with people that we know and people that we don't know. And hopefully it will change our, our posture and we'll, we'll, we'll be reminded of where we are or who, of whose we are, where we're at in the story, if we're in it or if we're not a part of it. And I pray that it moves anyone who finds himself not a part of the story into a relationship with God and, and into experiencing what his grace and mercy really is. And, and once it, Man, once it hits you, dude, it just it it changes you. It literally changes you. So over in Corinthians, and this will be my last thought for the night. But okay, he's talking about them doing communion, and that there's some people that are rich, and and they're doing it wrong. Mm-hmm. And he says, "But I don't want you to sit at the table of demons." Mm. Are you familiar with it? Yeah. Okay. So he says, "I don't want you to sit at the table of demons." All I'm trying to build out there is there's a table of demons. Yeah. All right, so when I sit at the table of someone's house, especially in their culture, that means that I am fellowshipping with them. I am finding my koinonia, my fellowship mm-hmm. inside of the company of those people. Right. And he's saying, listen, when you're doing it the way you're doing it, you are showing that you're sitting at the table of demons because mm-hmm. it's all individualistic. You're not loving each other or the God that's given it to you. Now, Psalms 23 is like, it's like, First Corinthians thirteen in a, in, in a wedding. Everybody wants you yeah, know the, the chapter on love. Yeah. All right. Psalms twenty three is the funeral. You know, and yea, though I walk to the valley of the shadow, shadow of death, death right. fear no evil. Yeah. When it gets down to your rod and your staff, your comfort me. Verse five says, "You prepare a table before For me in the presence of my enemies." Yeah. All right. That that cross references back to Corinthians, and what you need to hear from me is this: God has prepared a table for you to be with him in the presence of this dark world. And it is your enemy. Hmm. The world is a vampire, right? (laughs) And it's, it's what's (laughs) happening. Okay. (laughs) But as you sit at that table, Isaiah says, let us come, let us reason together. Now that table of Cornania has your heavenly father the intercession of Jesus Christ and the covering of the Holy Spirit that's brought you to the table. Mm. And they say, let us consider what you read when you read. When you read your scripture, if you read it like you're sitting at the table as a family member, 
and you're reading about family members. Yeah. David is in me and I am in David and David's life matters because the life that I'm living, when I'm reading that, it's empowering to me. Mm -hmm. Their failures become my failures. Their successes become my successes. We are one. And that changes that scripture. Yeah. It allows you to learn to be that 13th disciple. It makes you excited about going to that scripture because it's not a history book, but it's historical. Yeah. It's, it's, it's an incredible, it's the living word of God. I mean, yeah. in, in, in many, many facets, another podcast for another time, in many facets, the living word of God matters. It means something. Yeah, absolutely. Well, we thank you for joining us today on the podcast. We hope that you have taken away information that will help help you challenge what you believe for the benefit of growing in your walk with God. If you would like to support the ministry, you can join us on Patreon. It's patreon.com slash faithfleshedout. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Faith Fleshed Out. If you have any questions or comments or want to get involved, you can contact us at our email, faithfleshedout at gmail.com. That is faithfleshedout at gmail.com. Once again, thank you for joining us. We love all y'all. Do me a favor, say bye, Eric. Bye, Eric. We'll see y'all next time.